Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Corinthians is a, a great book. Um, it's one of the first books I went through after first getting saved, and it really like opened my eyes to a lot of things that I was thinking and feeling and that I thought were normal, which they were in the world, but uh, that aren't really necessary in the church, and just was a good book. God bless you. Came to the right place to sneeze. Um, tonight, the, if you can roll the graphic, it's called Spiritual Maturity. Spiritual Maturity. I know you're looking at me going, this guy's 31, and he's talking about maturity? Yeah, I'm, you know, and that's why I'm going to preface it with Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained the resurrection of the dead, uh, Paul's talking about here, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Spiritual maturity. It's not that we're, you know, at some point, you know, um, in six months or, you know, a year ago, you all of a sudden reached this place of spiritual maturity and you don't need to grow anymore. It's more about a process, more about where you are standing with the, standing with the Lord. Like, you're forgiven, but how is this working out in your life and how um, is, is your response to it, really? Um, but my wife and I just had a baby girl seven weeks ago, I think, February 23rd. Uh, and her, her name is Mia. So if you have that picture... I'm going to be the dad with the wallet full of pictures and show you my little girl. Um, she's, yeah, I love her. I'll see you guys later. But uh, <laughs> Mia is my little, uh, my little girl. I love her so much, and I just can't stop looking at her. But uh, she's awesome. You know, she is so strong and ready. She'll kind of stand up on her own. She's bigger than her uh, niece, oh, niece, cousin, uh, my niece, um, who's a month older than her. She's just a big baby, but she's uh, alert, aware. She'll, like, talk to you. Obviously not words, but she'll, you know, make noises and stuff. And um, it's, She has these little expressions. She, like, does this with your thumb and finger all the time. I don't know why. She's always done it. But she's awesome. But she has needs. And that's my wife. Like, I have needs. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big baby. But then there's Mia, and she has needs all the time. Uh, she has a hard time uh, sleeping alone in the dark. So my wife, a lot of times, will... I have to hold her to sleep while she sleeps. Um, not all the time. Um, she needs to eat every couple hours, just like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, she can't go to the fridge or the subway. Um, not yet. But uh, so she has to eat every couple hours, and she'll let you know when she's hungry. Because she'll wake up, and she'll go, ah. Well, she's hungry. It's how when's the last time you fed her, hon? Oh, about two hours ago. All right, right on schedule. Um, you know, she needs her diaper changed. And that's not too bad right now. You know, she doesn't eat solid food. So you parents know it's not that bad right now. Um, you know, she can't really sit up on her own. You know, if she's laying down, she's not going to get up. She can't roll over. you got to watch when she's laying down. You know, she needs constant attention. And that's fabulous because I love giving her attention. Um, and it's fabulous because my wife gives her attention at 4 in the morning when I have to get up for work. She's a blessing. But, uh, you know, if I didn't have to work, I would love it. But uh, it's just great. I love giving her that attention. And it's a great time. She's already grown so much in these past seven weeks. I thought the newborn stage would last a little bit longer. Like, we were looking at pictures last night, and I was all getting teary. Like, her fingers were all wrinkly, and now they're all, like, plump and baby fingers. And her toes aren't, aren't the little candies they used to be. They're a little bit bigger candies now. Um, so it's going a lot faster than I thought. But I, I love every moment of it. But if she was, think of this, if she was a baby, and this was, she was 10 years old or 20 years old and 30 years old, and she still needed mom to feed her every two hours. I still had to change her diaper. 
And there wasn't anything wrong with her. Like, it's not like she had some, you know, faculty that she didn't have control over that we needed to take care of her that way. But if she was a normal, healthy person and still needed this, there might be something wrong. You know, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't show a picture of, you know, my daughter at 30 with a pacifier in her mouth laying in her crib going, oh, that's cute. Like, that's weird. You know, there's probably a book written about that somewhere. That's but we're going to read the first four verses, and I think you'll see where we're getting at. Um, so let's read verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> and I, brethren, could not speak to you as the spiritual people, but as the carnal, as the babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For, uh, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You know, Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church. If you've read Corinthians or been with us uh, when we've gone through Corinthians, um, it was a port city. It was a, a big city at the time. It's not that, you know, kind of big anymore. They don't, you know, the port system. Uh, during the Roman Empire, the city ended up dying out, and uh, the economy sort of faltered there, kind of like here. But um, they were very, they were known for their uh, sexual immorality, for their loose living, for their worship of idols, and just all sorts of promiscuity that, um, frankly, a lot of uh, different, you know, like Las Vegas is known as Sin City, New York is a city that never sleeps. Uh, Corinth was, was pretty similar. It had a reputation as well. Um, but there was a church there, and the problem with that church, um, they were a church and they were believers, but they didn't really look anything different than the world. Like, if you went to that church service, it might not look much different than, you know, what the world gets together. The people, when they went to church, when they left church, you know, they were doing the same thing, and it wasn't a good thing. They were doing worldly things. But he says that he speaks to them as babes in Christ. He, he's hoping, Paul's hoping, that he can talk to them like they're adults. He can share with them, you know, something a little more meaty than a milk, than a little bottle of milk. He's hoping to have them over for dinner than to give them a bottle. Um, but he says, I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. And a babe in Christ, you know, that's not like, um, you know, a good-looking person. It's a baby. You know, it's someone who just was born, was just born again. Like Jesus said, you must be born again to enter in the kingdom of heaven. In the same way, when you're first born again, you're a baby. You know, maybe you didn't grow up around church. Maybe you don't know anything. And you just, someone bumped into you on the street, shared the gospel with you, and you went, wow, I need that. And you got saved. And you know nothing other than what they just told you. And that's kind of like my daughter. She knows very little right now. She knows when to eat. She knows mommy feeds her. She knows all these, like, how to cry, how to poop, you know. But she doesn't know very much. You know, you're not going to have a conversation with her about quantum physics. You know, you're not even going to have a conversation with her about simple things like, you know, bathing or sitting up or just the conversation in general. You'll be lucky if she looks at you and, and gazes at you for more than a second and gets bored and looks somewhere else. Because she doesn't know anything. She's taken all this stuff in. She's just totally ready to receive from everything. Um, and there's a good part about being a, a babe in Christ. There's a, a very good part. Like when I remember uh, I was contemplating this on the way home and thinking about when I first got saved, just how hungry I was for the Word of God and how, you know, I'd be at Bible study like this. Like, I you know, wouldn't really understand everything, but I knew it was truth. And it was just like soaking in my brain. And I'm just going, yeah, this is, this is it. This is it, you know. I knew what I knew, but now I know that I know nothing, and this is, this is what I need. And that's the same way with the baby. Like, every couple hours she wants to eat. A young Christian, probably every couple hours, is in the Bible. 
looking around or asking a biblical question or, or looking for something new. And it's all just new, all just new. Um, but after a while of that, there should be this, this, this growing process of, okay, I know that verse. Okay, I understand what this verse means a little bit more. Or, oh, I've had a situation like this in the Bible, and I've either not applied this verse or applied this verse, and I know what happens from it. Um, but he says that I, I'm fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. And just like uh, Mia, when uh, she eats, she'll spit up sometimes. Like recently she's been spitting up a lot, and today she wasn't really spitting up at all. But she'll like receive the milk. That was great, Mom. And then when she's done, she's done. And then she'll go, a little while later, Bleh. or she'll smile at you and like, oh, you're so cute. And then, you know, oh, you're so cute, but let me clean you up. You know, so there's always tissues around. I'm always changing my shirt because there's, there's always spit up going on. Um, and that's fine because she's a baby. That's, she just hasn't developed yet. But that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying that, that you are unable to receive it. And I don't, I'm not trying to make this like a hard message, but this is kind of where we're at, that he's saying when he shares the word with them, uh, they kind of spit it up. You know, they hear it, and they think that's great, and then they smile, and bleh. And, you know, nothing really changes in their life. They don't really remember it. It hasn't really gone into them and, and helped them grow. It instead just made their shirt dirty, and mommy has to change them. And the same way with us. Like, when we hear a word, when, when we read the Bible on our own, or do our devotions, or we listen to a teaching, do we receive it? Do we take it in and, and digest it and consider it and go, wow, God, I was going through a situation in my life or I was praying about something, and then the pastor or the CD or whatever, or your word in my devotion, said something exactly about that. Do we then go, bleh, and spit it up? Or do we go, hmm, all right, I need to apply this to my life. And, and Paul's saying he wants them to be in that place of maturity where they now receive this word, but they're not. They're not. He says, why? Even now, you are still not able. Like, all right, like, I've given you, you know, some time to grow up here, but even now you're not able. He's saying, by now, you guys should probably be walking, you know. You should at least be through kindergarten, you know, maybe riding a bike by now, but you're still running around in a diaper, spitting up on yourself, and there's no real difference um, in it. And that's really what God wants for us, is that we would grow up. That You know, there's that saying that, that God loves you just as you are, and that's true, because thankfully he does, because if he didn't, none of us would have any hope. You know, there would be no chance for any of us if he didn't love us just the way we are because there's no way we can change without him. But when his love does come into our lives, he doesn't want to leave us that way because he knows we're in trouble. He knows we're sinful. And we should know that we're sinful. And the more that we realize that we're sinful, hopefully the more we'll turn to him instead of our sin and we'll be able to be free from those things and be growing up out of those things. Um, You know, Paul says, uh, when I was a child... I did childish things, but when I became a man, I put those things away. Like, not that there's anything wrong with video games, but I remember there was a time when um, my roommates would play video games. And I, you know, I'll still play a game from now and then if you know, have friends playing. But um, there's a time where I just felt like, okay, it's, you know, this just doesn't serve my interest anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I just didn't really have any interest in it anymore. Um, and so, like, occasionally I'll download a game on my phone, but then it's like, I just can't get into it anymore. You know, I think that's the same way with us. Like, as we grow up, there's certain things that are just all of a sudden going to start being shed from our life. Like, oh, this really doesn't help my purpose in Jesus anymore. Like, or maybe I just don't have time for it because I've got to go to work or whatever that is. But we need to grow up because it's healthy. It's healthy. Just like we wouldn't want to see Mia, you know, at 30 doing things that a, 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 a six-week-year-old would do. Same thing as a believer. You know, as we grow up in the Lord, 
Um, we should be doing things that a mature Christian should be doing, and from the heart. Um, but he says that uh, that they're still carnal. They're behaving like mere men. Like, you guys aren't superheroes. You guys are mere mortals. Um, you know, there's adulthood, and there's adolescence, and there's childhood. And uh, when I shared this with the youth group, I really went into more detail about the different stages and how... Um, Really, this whole idea of adolescence up to your age 30 is a modern concept. In the Bible, it was like, you know, you were 12 and all of a sudden you're an adult. You know, you were doing the work. You know, Jesus around that age was in the temple doing his father's business. There was this transition there. Um, but with carnality, I think carnality can stunt our growth. You know, I remember uh, before I knew the Lord when I was a kid, uh, I smoked cigarettes in high school. And uh, thankfully God freed me from, from that because it's $9 a pack or something now. And it can kill you. But I remember I'd be sitting there at the bus stop waiting for the bus. I can't even drive yet, smoking a cigarette. And a guy came running by and he goes, that'll stunt your growth. And me being a wisecrack, I said, uh, yeah, and running will destroy your knees. But <laughs> so there's like there's different levels of these things. But the truth is, he was doing something healthy. I was doing something unhealthy. It's different if you do something healthy and it hurts you rather than if you're doing something unhealthy. And if you still smoke, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just giving an illustration here. Uh, but that word carnality is uh, sarkikos. It means fleshly or carnal. But it means having the nature of the flesh um, under the control of the animal appetites. Like a lion doesn't go out and go, you know what? I have feelings for that antelope. I'm not going to kill it. Because the lion goes, man, I'm hungry. And he tells the female lion to go kill it, and he sits around. I mean, that's just how it works. <laughs> Talk about fleshly desires. That's lazy. You know, <laughs> He's like, I could do it, but I'm strong. Um, so that's fleshly. Um, and there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, Who knows the spirit of the sons of men which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth? And the question I have for you is, are we different? You know, maybe college, your college professor or maybe the Discovery Channel says that you're just an animal who learned how to drive. You know, you're just an animal who evolved and doesn't have hair everywhere. Although, maybe you do. Maybe you do look like Great Babe. I don't know. Um, but are we different? You know, animals have a body. We have a body. Animals have a mind and a heart. You know, like a dog will have some sort of thoughts and some sort of feelings. You know, maybe they're not the most genius thoughts. Maybe you're a cat person. You think a cat has better thoughts and feelings. And so do we. Like, we get offended by things. We kind of look like sorry when we get caught, like my dog used to do. Um, you know, so they have a soul. So that's kind of what the Bible describes as a soul, is your mind and your heart. So we have that too. And that's kind of where most people stop. They think, okay, I have a body, I have a mind and a soul because that's all I can kind of tangibly put my finger on. That's all I can check with a, an EKG or, you know, a, a CCD or whatever sort of thing you want to put on it. Um, I'm glad you got that. Um, so that's all you can catch. But the Bible says that we're made in God's image. We're not made in man's image. We're not made in the likeness of an animal. He didn't take a monkey and, you know, shave him and say, hey, Adam, you know, he started new. He said, hey, dirt. Molded the dirt, and he breathed on it intimately, and Adam came alive, and he breathed on it, just like he breathed on his disciples to give them the Holy Spirit. So we have a spirit inside of us, and if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you're dead. The Bible says that your spirit is dead, so you may not even know you have a spirit. You may just think you're a body and a, and a, and a soul, but there is a spirit in there. It's just dead. And when we come to know Christ, because Christ was free from death, and sin, we can rise too. Because sin is what kills the spirit. 
Sin will destroy your body, and sin will kind of like mess up your soul. But your body and soul are going to depart anyway, like Ecclesiastes says. But it's your spirit that, can live, that lives on forever. And it's where that spirit is going to reside, whether it's going to be heaven or whether it's going to be hell. And that depends on Jesus. Because we can't, you know, no matter how many times you like get that, what was that AED defibrillator thing and shock your body, your spirit's never going to come alive. You know, you can't like stick two like tuning forks in you and pluck them and play a right note or whatever. It's not going to come alive. But are we different? You know, there's also this idea in this word carnality of lineage where we have excuses like, oh, I do this because I'm Italian or I do this because I'm Irish or I do this because of, you know, I grew up in the Bronx or I'm from the suburbs or whatever it is. We have these fleshly excuses for our behavior when really it has nothing to do with that. It's, it has to do with our spirit. Um, but spiritual maturity, growing up in Christ, and what does it look like? What does it look like? You know, the Corinthian church was misbehaving. It was caught up in appearances. It was caught up in names, like who was their pastor, who was the person that they thought was coolest. Um, and it was also caught up in sin. And they thought that it was okay for the sin to go on in the church, and that somehow they were mature because, ah, uh, we're more mature because we understand, we tolerate the sin in our church because we're enlightened, we know the truth, you know. It doesn't matter what the Bible says, but, but we know what the truth is. And, and that's carnality. That's carnality. Carnality is worrying what the body feels, what other people think. You know, it's worried about saving our fleshly life as opposed to getting our spiritual life saved. But there should come a point when we are grown up enough to serve. You know, the flesh wants it for itself. The flesh, feed me, you know, let me sleep, you know, all these other things, you know, go, whatever. You, I'm sure you've got a million ideas in your head already, um, because we all do. But the spirit is about serving God. And if the spirit's serving God, the body is going to follow. But if we feed too much to our flesh, our spirit's going to kind of follow that. You know, we should not be of men, but of the man. We should not be of ourselves, but we should be for each other. Um, and we'll go on. Let's go on to verse 5. We'll read through 15. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And we'll stop there. God gives the increase. It says that God gives the increase, that everyone else works together like, that's kind of not the natural way. Usually you think, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to build something with my hands, and it's going to invest. You know, like maybe Jay goes to work and he plants seeds and he hopes in a couple months vegetables and fruits will come out of that and he'll, his work, 
somehow he'll get an increase. Now, Jay knows that God really gives the increase there, but our mindset is really like, if I build something or if I invest my money in something, something should come out of that. You know, I'm working here. You know, it's like two plus two is going to equal four. If I do two and I do two more, I'm going to have four at the end of the day. And that's, that's hopefully, you know, the way the, the world system works, you know, at least in, um, you know, at least it used to work that way. But sometimes in the church we think that, or in life we think that we can do it on our own, or that a certain pastor has all the, uh, all the clout, or a certain ministry, or a certain church, or this, this one book you have to read. I'm telling you, you have to read this book. You have to read it. You have to read it. And it's not the Bible, and we think that this book is the answer to all our answers the answer to all our prayers when the Bible's already been written and this is just by some, some person. Um, and where's our focus in that? Because God gives the increase. It's not about a man. It's not about a ministry. It's not about uh, a methodology, but it's about Jesus. And even Paul says, Paul says, hey, I'm the one who plants and Apollos waters or vice versa. And then he says, but those guys are nothing. So Paul, the guy who writes most of the New Testament, just says, hey, in God's economy... I'm nothing. All I did was do a little planting, do a little watering, and God gave the increase. You know, I put a seed in the ground, I put water on it, I didn't make it grow. I just did the first two parts, and God made it work. God was the catalyst in this equation. And sometimes we tend to think that, we tend to give ourselves too much credit, or we tend to think that we're only going to grow in a certain environment, or that we're only going to grow when things go our way. But that's not the case. A friend and I were talking last night about rough situations and it occurred to me like what is dirt dirt is stuff normally it's dirty right you don't want to get it on you you know you generally want to stay out of it but generally it's good to plant things in if you have like really dirty soil with a lot of manure in it and other stuff stuff will grow in the same way i think god wants sometimes has to put us in a real dirty situation full of manure and full of other things and say hey grow grow and we go god can I be hydroponics just in the water all the time? And he says, no, I need to put you in dirt and let this, this word. There's, uh, it's in John somewhere, I think. Jesus says that unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, uh, it will not come forth and bear fruit. And I totally just ad-libbed that, so don't, take that, don't memorize that. But in the same way, like the word has to go into our heart, and it has to grow, and you know, sometimes it has to die first. And sometimes we have to die first to allow a growth to happen. Sometimes something in our life has to die before God can let something good grow in its place. Um, there's a great verse in Psalm 103, 15 and 16. Um, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. I love that. There's like this song I'm listening to that's really just, just that verse. But it says... It's saying that, you know, man is born, or man or woman is born, a person lives, you know, they flourish, they, you know, they have a family, you know, they're successful, you know, in whatever area, for the most part, you know, they flourish, they have a life, however long that life is, however long it is, but at one day, they die, and no one remembers it anymore. And you go, really, no one remembers it anymore? Well, that's exactly why people build monuments, or they build pyramids, or you know, they write crazy laws into being because they want to be remembered for their contribution to this field. But God's saying that, you know, just like the grass, just like, you know, it's springtime. It rained once, and all of a sudden, all the grass in my uh, yard went from brown to green. And I'm like, great, I still have to rake it. Um, but <laughs> it's just green now. But uh, in the same way, like, 
God will give some sort of increase in our life. We'll live and we'll die. And then the place that that grass was at one point, it doesn't remember it. The other blades of grass don't look around and go, hey, you remember that blade of grass? You know, the dirt doesn't go, man, I really wish that grass was back here. I mean, maybe it does. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what a plant thinks, if they think. But they don't. But in the same way with us, are we so concerned about the blades of grass around us, what they think about us? Or are we so concerned about the dirt that we're living in that we need to make this dirt as nice as possible and, and put our roots down as deep as possible in this dirt that the Bible says is going to be burned up? The Bible says it's going to be destroyed and we're going to be put in a new heaven and a new earth? Like, are we more worried about our kingdom or God's kingdom? And that's a struggle that we're all going to go through for our entire lives because it's like, this is what we see, this is what we live in, and who doesn't want to be comfortable? It's nice to get the air on. I'm glad that the air's on, you know? I don't want it, like, dark in here. I'm prepared. I have a flashlight. But this is way more comfortable to do a Bible study. But it says the importance of giving God the credit, you know, um, that God gave the increase. Nebuchadnezzar went nuts. Um, I think we went through that with uh, Pastor Owen. You know, at one point he hears about God, but then it's prophesied over him that, you know, things are going to happen because you're going to forget God. And he goes out and goes, look at this great kingdom I made. And bam, he goes insane. He's like probably foaming at the mouth, running around, taking his clothes off, running around in the palace. And all the guys go, oh, man, what happened to him? What was in that food? I'm not eating that. And they put him out in the wilderness. His nails grow long. He's, like, chewing grass and probably all dirty and, you know, has a big old nasty beard. And for seven years until the time passes, God says, okay, you know, you realize now that God is who he says he is and I am who I am. And and you only have all this kingdom because I gave it to you. And Nebuchadnezzar is restored. Um, or about David, a man after God's own heart. God said not to count the people. And I believe it was David. Yeah, it was David. He goes, let's count the people. And then all of a sudden, this like, disease breaks out among them. And he has to go pray to God and like, say, hey, stop killing the people. And it's like, David didn't get sick, but the people under him got sick. You know, the Bible says that when a wicked person is in power, the people groan. I don't know about you, but I've been groaning every time I read the nose lately. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that usually happens when we forget who God is. That's what happened to Satan. He said, hey, I can be God. I'm going to exalt myself up there. He forgot who God was. And he thought he made himself, and he didn't. And now he's going to pay for it forever. But it says that... um, Sorry, i got to find this. That each one, in verse 8, will receive his own own reward according to his own labor. You know, the Bible talks about rewards, that we're going to receive rewards um, for doing things for Jesus. And it's not like do works to be saved, but it's you've been saved, now you want to give back to the Lord. And really, we're all just unprofitable servants. Like anything we do, God goes, oh, I could have done that without you. I just wanted you to hang out. Um, But then we get a heavenly reward. And he talks about these things being burned. Um, But one of the ways that God's rewards are in our life is, in a sense, is in his provision for us. Like, um, God takes care of, care of his kids. Like, when my daughter Mia is crying, I'll, like, want to pick her up. I'll want to care for her. I'll pray for her if I don't know what's going on. You know, I want to meet her needs. I go to work to pay the bills so she has food. My wife, too. Excuse me. Allergies. In the same way God does. So when we, we're all God's creation. We've all heard that. But we're not all God's children. When we come to believe in Jesus, we become his children. 
just like Jesus is his son, we become his sons and daughters. And then we get some sort of like reward in that. Just the fact that, hey, my life is a little bit nicer now. I'm kind of reaping some of that reward by just enjoying this life in Christ. Then he also takes care of us. Um, but the real reward comes in heaven. Hebrews says that, uh, that faith is, is the evidence of things unseen. It's, you know, our action. Um, and in heaven, we're going to stand before God. And if you're an unbeliever, when you die, when you go stand before him, you will be judged and rewarded for the things you've done in this life, just like the believer will be. But without Jesus, all we can be judged for is our sin because we never gave it to God. So that's all we've got is our sin. And sin brings forth death, and sin will be punished. Um, but as a believer, because God has forgiven us of our sins, not because we've done anything to deserve it. That's why it's called a reward. It's not called like a paycheck. Um, God says, okay, I've forgiven you. What have you done that I've asked you to do? Not really what have you done you know, in your, in your spare time that you thought might be good. I mean, maybe. But really, if I've asked you to share with someone, if I've asked you to give them out, if I've asked you to take a compassion kit, or if I've asked you just to pray for your family, and you did those things for me, here's your reward. Here's your reward. We've heard the, the parable of the talents and uh, you know, the reward that they gave. And you know, when they were faithful with what they were given, God gave them more. Um, and I think a lot of times we, we end up blowing a reward or, or not seeking after reward because we're worried about taking care of our own needs. You know, a lot of times God will meet our need as we're seeking after his heavenly purpose. You know, as we're seeking after glorifying him and going after that heavenly reward, and not necessarily in a greedy sense, but really like, I know that God is going to, I have faith that God is going to reward me one day for the things that I do in obedience to him, just like anyone else. Um, so if I go after those things and I worry about heaven and let God worry about me, you know, I'm not going to lose out on the reward. But sometimes when I'm worried about me, worried about my bills, worried about other things, I might step out and say, oh, I'm going to go work extra hours instead of, or get a side job instead of going and helping out at church or going in on a mission trip. Or, you know, it's like, not that God's going to condemn me for it because I'm saved, but he's like, you know, you had an opportunity to, to serve me, but then you were so worried about yourself that you went and served yourself. And I'm not mad at you. You know, I still love you, but I wish I could give you this thing that I can't give you now. And um, it's never meant to be a guilt trip. It's really just, you know, part of our relationship with him. But he says that we can't have any other foundation underneath those things than Jesus Christ. You know, if we lay down, it's like uh, if the parable of the, the guy who built on sand and the guy who built on a stone. The guy who built on the beach, the, you know, the hurricane came and washed his house away. The guy who built on the mountain, the storm, same storm came. Nothing happened to his house because he built on a good foundation. And when we build on Jesus, and we do, uh, hopefully we aim to do everything in our life on that foundation. Like, I'm going to do this because, because of Jesus. I'm going to not do this because of Jesus. Then we build up for ourselves um, a reward in heaven. But on the other hand, if we say, no, I'm going to build it up on myself. I'm going to build it up on the economy. I'm going to build it up on what people say. Then the economy tanks. And your whole life crashes and you jump out of a window because you built your life on your 401k. You know, you've, you don't have a reward then. And it's not, you know, we'll hear this name it and claim it and all these ideas about having your best life now and all this stuff. And it's not about that. Um, because these things, they die. You know, Jesus said that don't put your treasure where, where moth and rust and thieves can come up and, and take it. Like I got a thing in my mailbox from the police yesterday that said, Tips for watching out for burglary. So I'm like, oh, wow, they must have a lot of burglaries if they're sticking this on my door. Um, 
But that's the same way. It's like, if I'm so concerned about my earthly kingdom, I'm not going to be any heavenly good. You know, if I'm more worried about making sure that my stuff isn't stolen, you know, I'm probably going to be at home guarding them all night instead of, you know, going to a Bible study or hanging out or whatever. But, uh, it says that according to their own labor. Like, when I go to heaven, I'm not going to be able to go, hey, God, uh, you know, Craig went out evangelizing last week, and, and I know Craig. Can I get some of that reward? He goes, no, that's, that was his thing. You know, in the same way, like, we can't take credit for anything that's not our own. And when we get to heaven, the real rewards are the stuff we can't take credit for, the stuff that God told us to do, the stuff that we just simply said, okay, or all right, or fine, you know. Not the stuff that we said, oh, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go on a crusade and I'm going to conquer the Holy Land so that Christians can live there and vacation there without any fear of Hamas. Jesus may, probably isn't asking you to do that because he's going to take care of that when he comes back. So what he's worried about is other people getting saved and people knowing the Word of God. Um, but each one's work becomes clear. Matthew seven twenty six and 27 says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does not do them, will be like a, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, your work will become clear. On that day of judgment, you know, maybe we think we're doing stuff right now, but when we go to that one day, we're going to see for sure whether it was, whether, you know, it'll be burned up, or whether it'll last, that fire. Um, will those who are not spiritually mature enter heaven? Do you have to, like, graduate spiritual high school to get to heaven? Do you need, like, a spiritual diploma to get in heaven? Thankfully, no. Um, but the only thing we need to get in heaven is just knowing Jesus. That's our diploma. That's the seal the Bible says that's on us. Is the, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee for heaven. Um, but will, the, will they have the same amount of rewards as someone who's spiritually mature? No. I wish I had the, the cups, but... There's this great illustration, and I'm told, I'm stealing it from somewhere. I don't remember where, so I can't give it credit. But I'm told if I use it three times, it's officially mine. So this is number two. So picture like a little sippy cup, right? And then picture like the small cup, and then like the 16-ounce cup, and then the 24-ounce. Uh, well, New York City, it's still passed, but it didn't pass. So you can still get a 32-ounce. And maybe you can get like the Tony, Pastor Tony Shaw has these giant mugs that are like 8,000-ounce. It's like... It's like an isolation booth when you drink out of it. So picture these three right here, right? You know, Mia's probably drinking out, of, not even drinking out of a sippy cup yet, but she'll drink out of like a bottle. But then you got the sippy cup, you got like, you know, maybe the high C box, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and Mia's definitely not, she could drown in one of the Tony's cups, so I, she's not anywhere near that. I could drown in it. But uh, in the same way, like maybe God just asked you to be faithful with the sippy cup. And until you're not faith, until he knows that you're not going to knock that sippy cup over and spill your apple juice all over, you know, the carpet, he's not going to give you the, the, the little bigger cup without the lid on it. You know, you're not graduating to the big boy pants yet. And when you're faithful with that, you'll get a bigger cup and a bigger cup. And eventually, you know, there's no handle. You know, there's no two handles. You know, you don't need a straw. You know, eventually, you know, you're driving down the road. You know, you're on the phone. You're drinking. You're, not, you know, not alcoholic, of course. And then, you know. You're popping Skittles. You're doing all this other stuff down the road. And it's like, not a big deal. But when you first drove, I remember when I first drove, it was like, oh, like freaking out. Just like make a turn because I was scared of getting hit. And now it's like people are probably scared that I'm going to hit them. Um, <laughs> I confess. Confess your sins one another. But um, 
Right for me. Three ways. Horrible. Um, but that's the same thing. You know, each one of those cups, God wants to fill up. And if you die a baby Christian, you're going to have a full cup in heaven. If you die a mature Christian, you're going to have a full cup in heaven. Now, bear with me, because this isn't a perfect analogy, and I haven't been to heaven like some of those guys who think they have when they write books. But each cup is going to be full. So it's equally going to be heaven for everybody, right? You know, we're with Jesus. That's all that matters. But were you faithful with the sippy cup? Faithful with the 8-ounce, the 12-ounce, you know, the Michael Bloomberg size, and then the, the giant Pastor Tony shot size? And that's really it. It's like, how much do we want? Like, how thirsty are we? You know, like, oh, maybe I'm not that thirsty yet. You will be. You know, eternity is a long time. You know, not that you ever run out, but I always like, you know, having the bigger cup because I don't have to get back up. But seriously, where are we on that? You know, do we think we're old enough for the, the big cup yet? And yet we can't be faithful in the little things? This is for me too. It's like, how often do we want the big old cup and someone else gets the big old cup, and we go, how come they got the big old cup? How come their cup has got more milk than mine? And how come they got three Oreos, and I only got two and a half? You know, I got the broken one. Like, are we ready? Are we ready? And sometimes that's God saying, hey, I just want you to see that, that even though you, I want to give you the big cup maybe one day, you're not ready for it yet. So where are we? That's really convicting. I'm glad we're going through this. Uh, but he says, we'll, we'll wrap up quickly. I know we're, we're going long, but uh, fellow workers. Fellow workers. He says that they work together in God's field. And not that we're ever really going to be mature, but we always need other people involved in our lives. You know, the Bible says that no man's an island unto himself. Um, and there's a great picture in the New Testament of that. There's Paul, there's Barnabas, and there's Timothy. And we each need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in our lives. And we each need to be a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And what that means is, for the Christianese of the night, is a Paul is someone who is spiritually mature. Or has, you know, even if that's just, you just got saved a minute ago, and this person just got saved, you can be a Paul to them, technically, you know, if you're able to help them through things. And it just means almost like someone over you spiritually. And that doesn't mean lording over, like, hey, what are you wearing? What are you drinking? What are you doing? And shepherding you. But helping you out someone you turn to for advice or someone that you can be to turn that other people can turn to for advice that's like a paul a barnabas is that person alongside you spiritually um hopefully it's your spouse i mean in you know in one sense it'll be your spouse but in another sense you need someone who's like a friend maybe they're in the same ministry you are maybe they're not even in the same ministry they're in somewhere else but spiritually they're like side by side with you you know you guys maybe haven't gone through the same exact things but you're almost on the similar level maturity wise and you can encourage each other. You say, man, like, things are hard today. Yeah, brother, I'm praying for you. And, you know, give verses back and forth. Iron sharpens iron. So we need those in our lives. So we need a Paul. We need a Barnabas. But we also need a Timothy. Because nothing helps you grow more than answering a spiritual question for someone that has it. You know, someone uh, texted me a question the other day. I was like, wow, that's really good. Let me get back to you. And it helped me grow because I understood more about the topic. And I was able to share with them. And, 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 and they thankfully understood what I wrote. So we need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. We need to be a Paul, we need to be a Barnabas, and we need to be a Timothy at all points. There's never a point in your life when you go, I don't need to be a Timothy anymore. I don't need anyone, and not just because your name's Tim, but, or Barnabas, <laughs> but that you, do, you need to have someone who can speak into your life who has a spiritual authority over you, whether it's your pastor 
or whether it's some just old saint in the Lord that, that can speak to you, even if they're younger than you. Because spiritual maturity is not about physical age. You know, there's a guy who's a couple years younger than me that's like spiritual light years ahead of me that, you know, that I remember looking at his life going, wow, like he's there and I'm here. Wow, I better spend more time with the Lord. Not that I need to be in the same place that he was, but wow, like it was a good check on my life. Like, am I being spiritually mature or am I playing spiritual video games all day? But let's go on. Let's close up real quick. Uh, 16 through the end. Uh, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's, that's in the Bible. Uh, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of, of this world is foolishness excuse me, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of Peter or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. That's a, that's a mouthful. But it says that the temple is to be holy. And this is not the temple. This is the church. This is a building where church meets, but you're the temple. I'm the temple. And God wants to dwell in us. If you're a believer in Jesus, God comes and dwells inside of you. You know, you'll hear the Holy Spirit, not necessarily audibly, but, you know, something, you know, I heard a message today, he was talking about, like if someone curses or takes the Lord's name, you'll just cringe on the inside. And before, you used to curse every other word. That's because God inside you is grieved over the sin. It's not to say, hey, you know, you're a sinner, stop it. But it's just, man, like there's just this grief over sin. But it says, let no one deceive himself. You know, sometimes we'll deceive ourselves and think we're doing the right thing or think that what we're doing is not sin. Like, oh, I can do this. Like, I've reached a spiritual maturity where I, where I can handle this now. And that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous because sin can kill you on the day before you become a Christian, on the day you become a Christian, and if you're Billy Graham. You know, sin can kill you no matter where you're at if you let it, if you let it. And part of spiritual maturity really is watching out for that sin, is, you know, like listening in a sense to what you're saying. You know, being mindful of your actions, um, being in the Word. But when sin comes up, you recognize it for what it is. You say, oh, that's sin. I don't want anything to do with it. Let me go the other way. That's spiritual maturity. Not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not, I can do all things through myself. It's no. Spiritual maturity, I know that I'm by nature sinful. I'm just forgiven, and I have the opportunity to say no now. That's spiritual maturity. It says, let no one deceive himself. And, and that means we have the responsibility to not be deceived. To stay in the word of God and, and not be deceived by the trickery of men by false doctrine or things that look like Christianity or by sin because sin is very deceitful. You know, you start playing with a little bit of sin and after a while you're in a lot of sin and you don't even realize it half the time. And you look up back in your life and go, I'm in the middle of doing this when I used to think that was horrible six months ago. What happened? What did I start playing with that got me to this point? And vice versa, sometimes you look at, you know, it's healthy to look in your life and go, wow, like I used to do that and think that was okay. And now God's really done something to me where, where I... I don't want anything to do with that anymore. You know, the credit goes to God. The credit goes to God. 
But it's no wonder that the world system is full of corrupt, power-hungry people. In the world, people think they, they are something. So they lie, they cheat, they steal. They first did it themselves. But then they'll grab to get that power. You know, like politics. Like, who wants to be in politics? Or the corporate ladder? Or even just, you know, probably working at the local cookie mart. You know, there's probably some sort of power grab there. But in God's kingdom, it should be the total opposite. Um, you know, Jesus said that the, the, the greatest should be the least. And the least should be the greatest. But we should realize what we are not. We are, we are dirt. You know, that's not to put you down. That's just stating the fact. You know, even a scientist will tell you you're made up of dirt and water. But we should realize that we're spiritually dead without Christ. That our sin and living in sin is our death. But that Jesus is our life. And we should be willing to treat others because of what Christ did for us better than ourselves. We need to love others, not steal from them, not make them love us. We need to serve others, not make them serve us. We need to lift others up, not put them down to make ourselves more powerful or seem, you know, make ourselves feel better by making fun of people or whatever the case may be. You know, the church should not look like that. And how sad it is when the church does look like that. And the Corinthian church kind of looked like that because they were worried about who's, who's following Paul and who's following Apollos and, oh, you like Paul? No way. And Paulus is a way better teacher. Like, you see his story? It was so funny. And, you know, but Paul goes through the five-point message and, you know, like all these ridiculous arguments when it's all about God, you know? It's all about Jesus. And we, we're so prone to that. I'm prone to that. I'm not up here saying that oh, I've reached this level where I don't... It happens all the time. It happens all the time. But maturity is recognizing that and bringing it to God. But it says that um, you are Christ and Christ is God. So if God cares for Jesus and we are Jesus, what are we worried about? You know, why are we so worried about this dirt that we're living in? You know, this kingdom doesn't matter. Only God's does. You know, but what kind of return are we giving Jesus? You know, if, if he's the, the, you know, the rich guy on Shark Tank investing in our little funny little life, what kind of return is he getting? Is he making his money back? You know, uh, is our product sitting on the shelf all day and, and not going to use? Um, will we be ready for his return? That could happen any moment, guys. I know people have been saying that for thousands of years, but look around. You know, one world government, take away your, your, your rights. You know, government, you know, this NBC promo, if you saw it, we need to get rid of this idea that kids are, are private property. Kids belong to a community. Are you kidding me? Do you go, <laughs> my wife gave birth to that baby. You know, if anything, it's hers. But, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. When we get rid of God... We turn to man and government. You know, my baby is God's baby. I just get to hang out with her and look out, look out for her and be her earthly dad. But he's her father. But when we get rid of God, we start putting other things in there. We'll be ready when, when the real ruler returns. You know, and when he does, will our work be burned? Or will it be a reward? Will we be a reward for Christ? Or will we be burned? Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already attained... Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Let's lay hold of Jesus. That's true spiritual maturity. Let's lay hold of him. Because honestly, verses like that, sometimes that's the only thing that says, okay, let me keep on going with life. Because even as a believer, hey, you're a pastor, everything's great. No. It's just God decided to give me a title. 
Just like God gave you a title and me a title. Saint. We're all saints. And life's not easy. And I think sometimes we try and pretend that it's, that it's easy and it's all flowery, but it's not. We're, we're dirt. We're living in dirt. So let's lay hold of God because he's the only one who can take us out of that. And, and he's coming soon. So if life is hard, it's going to be. Maturity is holding on to Christ and getting through those hard times. So let's pray. Uh, Father, that's so great, so cool that uh, I can call you that, and that, God, we can turn to you and trust you in these things. And Lord, I just uh, ask that you'd help us to really lay hold of you, God, that we would let go of these earthly things that are really just holding us down and, and keeping us from, from doing the things that you've asked us to do, God. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray for all of us here and all those who are impacted by our lives, that God, they would come to know you, that they would seek you and God, when you do return, that we would be found faithful and that those people would have heard the message and be ready uh, for your return. And, and it's, it's our own responsibility, so we can't, we can't do it for anyone else, God, but we ask that you'd help us to be responsible with what you've given us, God. And, uh, and Lord, I pray for those who don't know you here, God, that, um, Lord, they would seek out someone who's sitting around them, that, God, you've given the, the gospel to each of these people, Lord, and, and you can use anyone in here to lead anyone to Jesus and if there's anyone in here who, who doesn't know Jesus and, and needs that assurance of heaven and forgiveness and, and wants to turn from their sin and, uh, and be born again, just raise your hand and I'll pray with you. And someone will share with you after. If there's anyone. No one here would make fun of you because we all know we need it just as bad. And Lord, I pray that uh, you just bless everyone in this room that, Lord, that their lives would be full and mature and growing. And, and, God, if there's been any stumbling or any falling away or any just hanging on to these pacifiers, God, I pray that you'd help us to let them go. And I pray that everyone in here, including myself, God, would grow to the point of maturity that you want us to have, to grow up into you, Jesus. And uh, Not that we can attain it on our own or on earth, but that when we get to heaven, God, you would say that we've done a good job um, with what you've given us and with who you are, Lord. And, uh, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.